Hello and welcome back everybody to our 2019, our ninth episode, is it? Yes, episode nine. Episode oh nine God. for 2019 Soundtrack Showdown. Amazing. Yeah, so welcome back everybody. I hope you all had a lovely Christmas and a grand new year. So let's kick off our ninth episode and just talk about the two films that we're going to be discussing. Yes, we're is... going to be talking about Side Effects from 2013, music by Thomas Newman. And from last year... Yep, that's right. It's the You Were Never Really Here, composed by Johnny Greenwood. This is going to be another one of my confessions. I feel like I have one every episode, but I, I have not listened to a lot of Radiohead. I have in back in my college days, but I feel this is why I wanted to talk about You Were Never Really Here because there's definitely some vibes and like textures that are very similar and reminiscent of old yeah. Radiohead, you know, before okay. they went all experimental in their latest albums. Um, but yeah, so I really am looking forward to talking bo- about both of these soundtracks. Yeah, uh, they are they are interesting soundtracks. What I like is they're very different sorts of films from what we've done before, and they're very different sorts of films from what you would normally hear spoken about in any discussion of film score. These this sort of thriller genre shall we happy to call them basically like psychological thrillers mm-hmm. kind of genre it's not a genre that gets a lot of award um, attention in general and especially not for music and it's not a genre that you will hear talked about on 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 many podcasts or in many things about music we tend to focus more on music for like epic movies you know Lord of the Rings Star Wars things like that where you've got light motifs and you know, music integration, the storytelling like that, or the other genre you tend to hear a lot of discussion about music is horror, where obviously music is a huge part of the execution of horror. I feel like this genre sits kind of halfway in between those two and that it's got a lot of practical function like in horror, but it has a little bit more storytelling like in a drama. But it's it's a bit different. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's a, it's a different style and we're going to have to talk about the music in a different way to how we normally would i think because of its function and what it has to achieve in these films Mm -hmm. as opposed to what it's done in 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 films before so i i'm i'm looking forward to it but before we talk about any films we have to do our spoiler alert Uh, we are going to give away the end of these films well all of the details of these films just constantly through this podcast so if you haven't seen the film we might ruin it for you because both of these films are definitely one well i think especially side effects if you know what's going to happen it's not going to be anywhere near as much as much fun so let's talk just a little bit about the contenders so side effects 
Thomas Newman and Steven Soberg have worked together a few times, actually. Mm-hmm. Soderbergh being the, the director, of course. Um, probably most famously, they worked together on a film called Aaron Brockovich mm-hmm. back in, I think, 2001-ish. And they've actually just done a film, which I'm not sure is out yet or if it's coming out soon, which actually I feel like has some similar themes to side effects called Unsane. Yeah, no, I've seen the trailer for this. Yeah, I think it's quite, it's going to be an interesting one. Because yeah. it's kind of filmed on iPhones, isn't it? Oh, really? I think so. And it's, yeah, it's basically, it's, again, I love the um, the theme of psych being, you know, relying on psych psychiatrists mm-hmm. and their treatment of you and how easily, you know, you can lose your power to them and they can manipulate you and how you can be so helpless in there in their care. Mm. You Which know. is a really great way of talking about the other film I was talking about this one as well. And uh, You Were Never Really Here. So Lynn Ramsey, who's the director of mm-hmm. You Were Never Really Here, hasn't made terribly many films yet. She's only made like four or five, she maybe. Did, yeah, but she did a very good one, like Let's Talk About Kevin. Yes. And uh, did Johnny Greenwood? Right, yes, Johnny, and that's Johnny where I was going with that. Yeah, Johnny Greenwood composed for that. Yeah. So I would say that this is like probably the, maybe potentially the beginnings of a big composer um director relationship. Greenwood mm-hmm. hasn't done many films, she hasn't done very many films but they have now done two together and they seem to very much like each other and work well together so I wouldn't be surprised if they make quite a few films mm-hmm. Yeah, together. I mean, I, I can agree in a little bit just add the fact that um, Johnny Greenwood has worked with, um, I think it's Paul S. Anderson a lot because okay. he, he's done um, Phantom Thread he's done The Master, is it, what did Paul Anderson do The Master? But I think Johnny Greenwood has got another director who he has collaborated um, with regularly. regularly. Yeah. Um, so I think I think Johnny Greenwood, um, he's kind of making his name known mm. quite well in the sort of indie world. Sure, sure. But um, but we can touch upon that in the legacy. Part. No, definitely, definitely. So we can, we can look forward to that. But yeah, anyway, anyway. So these two are these two are definitely beginning to have a, a, a relationship together in terms of film. This is an interesting and unusual film, I think. What did you think of it? Yeah, so this was one that I hadn't seen before. Uh, I had seen side effects before, as as I think we spoke about last episode. So the first time I watched it, I was kind of like straight off a plane and very, very tired. And I got 45 minutes into it and I was just like, I've got no idea what's going on. So I had to stop. (laughs) Because it doesn't give itself, it doesn't explain what's going on very well. It's very much, it gives you a lot of sort of breadcrumbs of, of of a plot and expect you to then... Piece it together. Piece it together, which... On second viewing was very easy. It's not like it's, it, it's this isn't a David Lynch film. Like it's mm. not being a dick about it. Like it's it's all there, and certainly about an hour in, it really sort of shows its hand of of what's going on. But yeah, the first time when I was just a bit too tired, I just couldn't follow the thread of it, and mm, you couldn't I, focus on the story. No, and so I just had no idea what was going. on. I was like, and so people are attacking him now, and what now? Because mm, mm. <laughs> um, yeah, it didn't it didn't make a whole lot of sense because it's got a. It's got a huge amount of self-reference and sort of cycles within itself that you need to kind of decipher how they're meant to fit together. And some of them sort of deliberately fit together in in illogical ways, I I think, which, like, if you're not concentrating properly, you can can confuse. I thought it was an interesting um, take and visualisation of post-traumatic stress. Yes. I, I completely agree with that. When I could finally actually work out the film, that's that was entirely where I, where I sat. Yes. Mm. 
Okay. The other thing I want to say, just in terms of like comparing the films to each other, sort of as, as we came around, so sort of on the face of it, these films don't have much in common. You know, one is about murder, insider trading, antidepressant pharmaceuticals. The other one's basically about pedophile rings and a hitman. Like they don't seem like there's a lot of overlap, but there definitely is a lot of parallel between the two, which is what we're sort of going to talk about with the mm-hmm. with, with our rounds. In that, both films deal very heavily with the mental state of the main characters. I think that's probably the strongest link between the two. Mm-hmm. Even though one is obviously very much about psychology and psychiatry, and the other is plainly not the you would never really hear well, it well if you want to take it to that um, sort of analysis I would say yeah it's from the perspective of psychiatrists whereas um, you would never really hear the perspective of a patient yes definitely it's perspective of like the mental state um, of Joe and his sort of rawness mm. you know not seeking help it's just this is how he is and he's trying to deal with it in reality you know whereas um, a psychiatrist has this perception of what mental illness and how it should be treated, you know, okay. and force feeding you these pills and stuff. Whereas here, he's traumatized and he's self-destructive and he's also just completely disassociated from life. And it's him trying to find his way back to humanity without taking um, yep. drugs or seeking help, you know, mm-hmm. but doing, but maybe doing the things that he knows best, which is, you know, killing, being a hitman and rescuing girls from like sex rings. Yes. It's a very specific set of skills, as Liam Neeson <laughs> might say. <laughs> well, murdering bad people. And just on a kind of really boneheaded basic level, uh, both films have quite a lot of scenes where essentially you've got a character sort of blankly staring off screen and not really communicating a whole lot, but the music is telling you what's going on in their head. Mm-hmm. There's a whole lot of that in both films. And so that's kind of, I think, where our analysis is really going to kind of dig into is what is the music doing here mm. and, 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 and how is it going to work? So our rounds for this episode are round one, main theme, round two, murder, Ooh. round three, anxiety, round four, production and techniques, and round five, legacy. As always. So without further ado, round one, main theme. So shall we start off with talking about side effects then? Yes. So let's have a listen to um, side effects, A Very Sick Girl. Thank you. 
to me it sounds very feminine. Interesting. And not just due to the female vocals that come in, you know, mm-hmm. but you know the use of the octaves of the guitars, the use of the reverb and the guitar ramps, and just the techniques, the effects that come in, um, which gives that that sort of a dreamy quality. Yeah. And there are times there are moments when it sounds quite seductive as well, like the melodies of the guitar, like this bit. So that to you screams feminine, does it? It's it screams a sort of coquettish, sort of crazy wink of the eye, you know, which is fitting for the character of Emily. Um, because you know she uses seduction, her femininity, her vulnerability to manipulate people. And okay, so it's you're you're sort of seeing it as like a like a seductive vulnerability. She's because yeah. she draws her in. She draws people in with the vulnerability of her. It's not so much a overt sexiness like say under the skin no but no no but the seduction doesn't necessarily have to be sex no seduction can be about through vulnerability looking you know needing someone's to look after you exactly that's that's what that's what she plays with so to take an interest in you that that seduction is all about taking an interest into somebody sure Uh, yeah there's an element of music box quality to it as well and it's very hypnotic i mean I'm kind of just comparing it to when I said in our last episode, the Die Hard um, soundtrack, which sounded very masculine sure. with the instrumentation. This sounds very quite stripped back and for me quite... Feminine. Feminine, yeah. Interesting. I don't think it would work the same way if you had the male character, if the main character yes. was male. Okay, so that's, that's really interesting. So the, the, the two main notes that I have here uh-huh. are one that the thing that it reminds me of more than anything else is American Beauty. Mm-hmm. It's got, definitely got the Thomas Newman quality to it. The, the Thomas Newman-ness, but there's also there's something in the, the type of kind of melancholy to it mm-hmm. that makes me immediately think of American Beauty. And I think because in my head I sit down, I watch this film, opening, opening sequence, um, kind of like, like aerial drone mm-hmm. dolly shot type thing of buildings and that sort of music I immediately my my head fills the Kevin Spacey which right, <laughs> is probably not course. a good thing these days but um, so I guess because of that I didn't immediately think feminine because I just see it as not necessarily masculine but but just like sad and melancholy somebody's probably died dark darkness to it and the other thing I'd say is that the bells, to me, I've just been conditioned to after so many thousands of films that use it this way, it makes me think children. Mm-hmm. Which I find interesting in this particular film because I sat down and I worked out the, there's four places where you hear this, mm-hmm. this track in the film. You hear it in the opening title sequence and then... Um, Malingering. Yes. Yeah, so here in the opening title sequence, then you hear it a little bit later on when Dr. Banks talks to his son about dreams. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Banks is talking to his wife about something or other, and then the son comes in like he can't sleep, and so he mm-hmm. goes off to, to, to deal with him. Oh, right. And, and then another scene that it comes in when she is talking about the memories of how it all happened. Yes, the day back. of the day that her husband was arrested. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's the third time you hear it. So And then and there's another time when it gets played when it's um they're together. 
when they're together after his after he's released from the prison and it looks like you know they're in a restaurant or in a cafe and they seem to be all happy when she's uh, using the elixir pill okay I, I missed when, that one okay yeah. so there's five so there's it, that one and then the last time is right at the end mm-hmm. after it all kind of plays out and she gets taken away by the police at the mm-hmm. end well, we're like we're getting right on quick with the spoilers here um <laughs> And then cuts to a scene where he picks up his son from school, from St. Luke's, um, and and takes his kid home. And so there's this little scene of, like, that's his ending before mm-hmm. um, you then cut to her in the mental institution. Okay. So, you, you're just referring to the, the chimes, like the audio. It's that same theme, but so... The, in the very sick girl track, you hear the theme the first time in the guitar and stuff, and then you hear mm. it later on with bells. So, like... To me, then this I suppose there's two themes in the track, but that second one with the bells, it's it does attach to the kid because we hear it when he's dealing with his kid twice. It's actually not his kid; it's his stepson. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hadn't even paid attention to that. <laughs> it's it's a very like insignificant detail. Detail, but I just I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's not really his kid. So I don't know why he feels so attached to him. You know, when he loses him. I understand when he loses his wife, you know, or girlfriend or whatever, whoever she is, but... Mm. Yeah, that that plot line isn't as good as I as it was meant to be. No, their relationship doesn't really go anywhere, and it's a little bit... It's, it, it wasn't it really believable. Yeah. I didn't really believe their relationship, to be honest. No, no. Especially their reconciliation. Yeah. So quickly, just like that. Yeah, it's like, it seems like it exists just to kind of raise the stakes on him a little bit mm. and maybe make it less inherent that he must be sexually attracted to Emily, maybe. Mm. Like, if he was single, maybe you would assume that he was obviously trying to get with her just because of that's how films work. Mm. But because he's married, it's easier to keep himself... I don't know. Mm. Um well, I agree. It does feel tacked on, although the fact that there's a track called St. Luke's and this theme seems to attach to the kid makes me think that actually maybe when they originally wrote slash filmed this film that it, there was a lot more to it that it got and it got pared down. I don't know. Mm. That, that's, that's maybe an irrelevant thing. But anyway, so I, I find that this, this track is a little bit funny because it gets caught up between what does it attach to and, 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 and where does it go to, which I think is partly part, partly contributes to my sense of not necessarily seeing it as as strictly feminine. I see it as attaching to her and her mood. But yeah, and no, I like it. I like the idea of it as a as a seductive vulnerability. That this is essentially what draws him to her is that he sees her as damaged. And I mean, on, on one hand, it's you know classic guy wants to save the girl kind of mm-hmm. narrative. But on the other hand, it's also his job. <laughs> yeah. Like she's there. She's just had an accident. He identifies that it was potentially suicide it's literally his job to respond to that and react to that so it's what's also interesting there is that Mm. you know it's emulating the theme of being a a prowler yeah okay run with that so a prowler is basically a person who moves stealthily about um near a place with a view to commit a crime okay i didn't know that good (laughs) so this is basically her yes you know she's kind of like it's like a chess game she's formulating her plan you know and watching things and putting things into motion to get mm-hmm. to commit a crime that she yep. knows that she wants to get away with. Yes, ultimately, yes. I want, like when I say feminine, it just makes it seem a little bit more 
delicate mm -hmm. you know it's far more it's a much more delicate um, sort of interpretation uh, for Emily's character no, but it has this sort of foreboding mm. Um, so it has this sort of foreboding quality to it, sitting underneath always, yeah. you know, with the pads, you know, always being there and kind of yeah. evolving, you know, underneath. So yeah, yeah, definitely, and it like it is very important. So sort of talking about the sort of practical function of this music because it is the the first thing you hear is it does have to set up uh, is particularly important with a with a psychological thriller is that they. They need to set up very early that this isn't a drama, because a psychological thriller can look like a drama in its early scenes, often as it gets itself set up, as it introduces characters and things. So they need they need to communicate that you're not just looking for character in this film; you are looking for did you think that twists it, and turns. Did the music make you think that it was a psychological thriller? I think it. I think it made it uncomfortable to start with because it's the as I say it's that same mood that American Beauty has when it starts where you'll and perhaps there's an element of because we spoke about during the um, our favorites episode that that sound became really popular there for a few years. Mm -hmm. um, I think that sound that melancholy that heavy decay from the mm -hmm. the various like reverbs and things it does have a lot of connotations now of there's something else under the surface here. Mystery. Yeah. It's it's that this film is going to have a little bit of mystery to it. It's not going to play out obviously. Mm -hmm. I, I think I think is yeah, is is now very established for this as a sound. Okay. Cool. So then let's talk about you were never really here then. Yes, and what track are we listening to because this one so you never really hear we'll, we'll do a disclaimer off the start. This one is a really hard film to tie tracks on the album to stuff in the film for. Because it's quite random and it's not its not like your typical like film soundtrack where it's basically segments yeah. of certain tracks, like maybe 30 seconds are taken yeah. from a four minute track yeah. you and plays into the film. Yes. So therefore you almost feel a bit like, oh, well, why didn't they use a four min the full track on this film? Mm -hmm. So you feel like there's a lot of segments. It's very fragmented. So yeah, definitely. I it think was really hard to try and find this like the film the sound the soundtrack like the tracks for the mm -hmm. to piece together to the scenes that we're talking about. Yeah, like I I think there's probably only two or three occasions in the entire film where you have a a music cue that goes for more than 30 seconds mm -hmm. like it's really rare we will talk about one of them later but it's really rare and yet every track is like four minutes long so yeah you're, you're right it's, it's tiny fragments of tracks that have been chucked in early on in the film there's a couple of maybe minute long ones and mm -hmm. we're about to talk about one of them now um but yeah so that's, that's a little caveat as we go into you and never really here we're going to refer to the track but you might find it hard to find the exact bit we're talking about, but it's it's there. Bear of us, just bear of us, basically. Yeah, and I feel like there's a lot of mu music in the film that is not on the album at all, mm -hmm. and there's I reckon at least half of the album is not in the film at all. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that the film soundtrack is not a good exp no. listening experience because it oh, is. I think it's better. I think yeah. if you honestly, we'll we'll talk about this a lot more in Legacy, but actually no, we'll just talk about it in Legacy. Okay, um, cool. Okay, so let's. That's so the track that we're going to be talking about now in yes. terms of like his the you will never really hear his main theme is right at the beginning after um Joe's character well we don't know who Joe is but no. it's basically it's the moment when you've seen a guy in a hotel 
um, cleaning up cleaning up after him trying to kind of almost attempt suicide it looks a bit like that yeah Yeah. and there's like he flushes some blood tissues away and then he basically he leaves the motel breaks a sim card Yeah. yeah and then he opens the door closes the door to the room and then starts walking yeah and this is the first music you hear but until then there's just been sound effects of this thing and yeah this is the first music you hear this opening I don't know why like this is the track that really got me interested in the film okay and I was just like oh okay this is quite this is a film I want to list I want to watch and listen to the soundtrack after like this is the one I need to pay attention to okay okay um because it's for me it stuck up for all the right reasons right okay um, Go because on. it was very jarring and very unpleasant that yes. made me you know it made me sit up and pay attention to what was going on to the film and I think it this definitely is, is a, this isn't a normal, it, it immediately says this isn't a normal film. Yeah. yeah, and I think this is kind of like a recurrent pattern, um, which we kind of mentioned earlier um, in the podcast, whereby it's an interesting synthesis of music and visuals where the music is so out of place that it makes you kind of sit up and kind of mm-hmm. be like, okay, what is going on mm-hmm. like, to the mm-hmm. scene that you're watching? And You know you what know, it reminds me of musically? Like, it doesn't sound anything like this soundtrack, but... The degree of jarringness reminded Birdman. Birdman, yeah. Mm. And that Birdman with that, I think, pretty much entirely drum soundtrack yeah. all the way through. You're just like, why is this the soundtrack to this film? Mm-hmm. And not in a this is awful kind of way, but in a why is this the soundtrack exactly. to this it film? It makes you want to know more. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's yeah. it doesn't put you off the film. It no. makes you turn it off. It makes you be like, okay, I need to find out more. Something else is going on. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, I love the electric guitar strumming. I love how it's it's such an effective introduction to the character as we don't know who he is. We don't see his face because like the first chord makes reminds me of a sort of a western style music. You know, you almost okay. you almost yes. think that this could be like a No Country for Old Men type film. But you know, then how it progresses and goes off key and the way it syncs with the visuals of him walking and he, you know, he it's not in any way elegant or mm. with a suave you know it's very lumberjack heavy and like a mammoth and I think it really just represents the character very well that this is somebody who is not who's completely off balance and it's what I find also interesting is how when he turns the corner to the reception and the music changes mm. and it becomes much more together with mm-hmm. a rhythmic beat a bass line and you know more of the sort of rhythmic sort of guitar sure, sort of sure, sure. licks and stuff and it made me think like oh could this be a reflection of his mind potentially 
whereby before when he leaves the room you know he's just committed murder and wanted to you know attempt suicide on himself and he's probably not in the right state of mind he's very off kilter depressed hence the off key mm. you know de- mm. detuned chords and just very random mm-hmm. strumming and then as he comes around the corner, he then switches modes to, you know, whereby he needs to appear normal and all together and to avoid detection or, you know, get any unnecessary attention, you know? So, yeah, that's kind of like my interpretation of it. There are moments in this in this track, like the percussive hits, mm. and again, in the second half of the track, you know, are recurring other tracks, but yeah. in different forms, which again are you know are i guess his themes i think for mm-hmm. you were never really here for joe's character i think the instrumentation the use of instruments is more an indication of his character rather than a motif or your typical Definitely. melodic yes you know, so, melody. Yeah. um so yeah i just find like the string instruments and mainly like the guitar and violins are represent representation of joe um okay. but yeah so that's so that's my in- that's that's what i think of um Sandy's necklace. What did yes. you think? Look, I I agree with all of that. I think that's a very correct analysis of how of how the track works. That's not how I came. It's not. That's not how it felt to me when I first watched it, though. Mm-hmm. Which is a purely, perhaps me being stupid, but it's also like a purely practical question of. That is a, that, that's a very good way of explaining how that music attaches to that scene and how it attaches to him. But I don't think you have enough information at that point of the film to make that link straight away. But oh, no, you seem to. I do, know because the first scene that you see as the film starts is him trying in the to... Bag. Com- in the bag. trying to commit suicide. So you almost know that he's not in the right... There's something not right with him. Mm-hmm. Yet he's doing... He's tidying up... Like You almost get an idea that he's done something like a hit man... Because he's he's getting rid of evidence yes. by burning the photo of the girl and some other like yes, evidence. Yes, sure. So you know that this this guy is quite methodical. Mm. Um, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to clean up. Like even the moment when he was about to get out and he closed the door because they he had to let wait for the girl yes. in the red in the red skirt to go yep. go by. And then he came out, and then but that's just how I mean that's how I piece yeah. things together. So I kind of. I liked how it started off with, you know, a really clean chord. And I thought, like, okay. And then it just kind of disintegrates into this, like, chaotic sort of off-tune strumming. Really, like, off-tune, just like... Yeah, so that off-tune, that what that reminds me of, and there's other moments in the score that also remind me of it, is, and like, you're a musician as well, so you've been around, you know, a lot of, a lot of music things. It reminds me of tuning. Mm-hmm. Like that, that sort of stage early on, you know, like you play, a, you, it you, yeah, well, well, to me, almost like tuning up. Like you play a chord, and maybe because your your intonation is good, it sounds good. But then mm. you realise that no, the strings are off, so I've now got to play all the strings and kind of yeah. they go out of tune while you bring them back into tune. So it it, it just it feels like that practical process of, of tuning an instrument. There's a, a bunch of other moments later on, um, particularly on cello as well, where it, it, it feels it feels to me like I'm listening to a cellist. Tune. Tuning his instrument, yeah. yeah, and you could say that that kind of fits in it a bit as well. And it's like it's sort of tight. It's the character trying to like get control of himself his, again, yeah. the same way a musician trying to get control of the strings yeah. to get them in order. Is essentially, I, I feel like there is a touch of that. And yeah, that process of detuning, retuning, 
and keeping that going. That that is definitely a motif, essentially. Mm. I, I think I think you do get through the score, and yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, yeah, I I felt I suppose my first gut instincts of of it is yeah, you get that kind of western sort of a sound, that big aggressive snarly gnarly kind of a chord. And then he goes out into thing, and like that's a transition you hear a lot of, like dark character music. But then he hits the street, and all of a sudden, like a beat comes in, mm-hmm. and, and 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 off you go. Like that is a. It's almost like a thug sort of music. Yeah, like, yeah. That, that, as, as in, like you know, a thug life. You know, yeah. uh, you know, his sort of like underscore of him walking out into the streets. You know, with mm. his like his hands in his pockets and doing yeah. his swagger. Yeah. Sort of so it felt like that's what it was doing, but then it subverts it again by then kind of going off and doing and doing weird things. So, mm. yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. Cool. So then in terms of, like, who would be our winner as the best main theme for the character and, like, sort of introduction to the film? So you go first. You pick your winner. Yeah. Um, this is hard because... So I like both pieces of music in their own way. They're very different. It's very hard to compare them. So then I, what I want to do is I want to compare them on how well they work. But then I actually have caveats on both in mm-hmm. terms of how well they work. Um, because, just simply because of, like, this is a piece of music in... You never really hear that... You, you never hear anything quite like this again, mm-hmm. I don't think. So it's not like it ties the film together in any way. It's just an introduction piece, which is cool, but it's just an introduction piece. Uh, whereas in side effects, you do hear it again, but as I say, you hear it in a bunch of different scenes that don't actually tie together terribly well. So there isn't really much of a thread of of the music there. So I feel like both have kind of caveats in terms of of that. <sighs> I'm gee, <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? It is really hard. I think give up your gut. <sighs> the side effects one is a much more together? Yes, it's a much more together piece of music. I want to say it's a better piece of music, but it's not. Oh, really? Why do you not? Why do you think it's not a better piece of music? What? Why? Because I think that you never really hear is a better piece of music than it originally sounds like it is. Because mm. there is a lot going on in terms of different emotions and different shifts. So whilst I would definitely, if you, if I was having to decide on a piece of music to listen to for the next four minutes, I would choose side effects every single day of the week mm-hmm. because it's a more enjoyable thing to listen mm-hmm. to. But It's more linear. Yeah, definitely more linear and more melodically structured. But... Um, <laughs> Filling your face then. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of a piece of film scoring, I, they're, they're broadly equivalent, in fact. I think if you were to be talking about the first scene, like the introduction to the film... I would go for um, You Were Never Really Here. I yeah. think for me... Because it's I, a more interesting scene that, than it, it's a, it I think to. just because it makes... It just made me kind of question a lot more. And I wasn't expecting it. No. I think. And I wasn't... Ex- and from what, what I heard and what made me think about the character, like trying to put it all together mm. and how, like, as I said, my analysis of it seemed to kind of... Well, yes. it's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's. I just feel like I think it did its job. I think I don't know. I just I liked how. Sure, sure. I I agree. It's, it was very experimental for all the right reasons, and it's okay. just in again. It's 
I liked side effects and I no, well, no I like I love side effects soundtrack and I love mm. a very sick girl because purely from what you were saying that it's very melodic and it's just it's it's a beautiful for me it's a beautiful piece of music mm. opening scene of side effects is, is a kind of nothing kind of a scene like it works but it not a lot happens the opening scene of you never really hear is a very interesting scene it's a very unusual yeah I mean I, I think what no the opening scene in side effects it's an interesting piece of music that makes you want to listen to the music but it doesn't really want you to know more about what is going to happen for the rest of the film no. you know whereas this one it does you kind of want to know more you want to watch more of the mm. film to find out where is this music going where is this character going like what is this film about mm-hmm. you know whereas I, yeah a very sick girl is just basically just an establishing shot for just for you Shock. know so yeah, I mean, well, you still haven't picked your winner. I'll go with you and Ever Really here. You've Yay! convinced me. Woohoo! <laughs> right then, so moving on to round two, murder. So this round, we're basically going to be talking about two scenes in the films, which are basically just murders it's just murders basically you know one from side effects is when emily murders her darling husband channing tatum oh my god Um, does that come out of nowhere it does come out of nowhere i wasn't expecting it that's for sure and i wasn't expecting the music as well i actually you know yeah bought that sort of interpretation of that scene yeah we're looking forward to talking about that one that's a good scene yeah and yeah so and then but it's a little bit more t- difficult to take out, work out which murder we'll be talking about and you were never really here because there's a few yeah, there's a few murders and it's funny it's it's not necessarily an overly violent film because I find that this, the violence in the film tends to be kind of cut cleverly sim- cleverly so you don't really see, see much the, at all yeah. aggressively yeah like but there's still but the one that we are going to be talking about is in the hotel when um the girl that he just rescued uh, i can't remember her name nina nina yeah her name's nina nina yep it's nina okay um he rescues nina and they are back at a the hotel, hotel waiting for the thing and then they see the news that Votto the senator or whatever that he's father yeah yeah the politician that he's working for has committed suicide mm-hmm. or jumped fallen off a building one way or another yeah and then yes the these police i'm holding up air quotes right now come to the door and steal her away and get into a fight with him and he kills one of them yep yep that's basically what happens and so we'll talk about the music first for side effects yes um the track is called knife and yep. here it is
So yeah, it's very chilling, very simple, and an unusual way of scoring a murder scene. You don't normally hear you normally hear a scene um, music to be a little bit more dramatic. Yes, you know, and quite, you know, out there and very, you know. Yeah, it very it's it's very it's very much expressive. about creating that what the hell just happened moment because she stabs him in there instead of like some big Hitchcocky type. Instead of some sort of big acknowledgement by the, the the music, the music just it kind of sounds like it just breaks. And it's quite it's just kind of continuous. Yeah, as well. Yeah, it just it just sort of suddenly sits into this sort of like funny mood. Mm. It's, it's really sort of dreamlike mood almost. Yeah, to just sort of give you the sense of what, like, and, and I think it, what it really does is it. You do have this huge moment, I think, when particularly the first time you watch it, where you're like, "Is this real?" Mm, mm. You like, you you completely question, "Is this just? Have we just now gone into a dream sequence? Mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. this something that she's fantasizing about doing, mm. or 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 whatever? Or did that actually just happen? Mm-hmm, <laughs> because mm-hmm. because it doesn't acknowledge it properly, and so it really sells when she sort of does that, and then she just sort of like daisily walks off to bed. You just like. What? Mm-hmm. Which is perfect. It's exactly perfect, what yeah. that scene has to do, and it's really crucial because without without that reaction, that scene doesn't work for the way the plot is is going to play out. Because you need when you that say uncertainty reaction, from whose re- whose reaction? The audience reaction, right? Yeah. Okay. Like if if the if it was if you felt immediately after seeing that oh she's killed him deliberately, mm-hmm. which could easily happen. If the music was different, then the film is nowhere near as interesting from then on. Or if it made it really obvious that this is an accident, like she stabs him and then the music goes sad, then it would also show its hand, but it gives you nothing. It's quite almost otherworldly. Very. You know, so it's you, science fiction music, yeah, basically. Yeah. It's like something you would see in space, you mm. know, like a space thriller type thing. Uh, yeah, it's it's genius. I love it. I think it really creeps me out whenever I listen to it on its own, you know, mm. because it's not your typical horror film music sequence style, you know, because there aren't any, like, monsters coming out. No. Or it's very evolving. Yeah. You know, and it's quite steady and it just kind of goes and then it just disappears. It settles down and mm. disappears. And I love that. I love how it gets and it sinks with her going to bed just like calmly. Or as you say, in a sort of a weird mm-hmm. sort of zombie state, like trance almost. Yeah. It has a trance element to it. It does have a trance element to it. It does, like, it does also have a definite horror quality mm. to it because, mm-hmm. so technique wise, I'll just briefly talk about technique. So this is what. Um, it's atonal for a start. Like there's no, definitely no sense of key or tone. The the notes are all all over the place, mm-hmm. and it's also definitely what we call aleatoric, uh, which I'm sure we've mentioned in the podcast before. But so ale- ale- aleatoric means it's also sometimes described as chance music, where basically you'll write a whole set of notes and sort of give instructions of play these notes in any order. So rather than giving like a a simple you know melody like You'll just be like, play notes randomly. Um, and when you start getting 
dozens of people playing random notes at the same time, then you just get this cacophony and unsettling. Which is why it does sound like other horror movie music Mm. because you use that technique a lot and to a certain extent it doesn't really matter what you do. Once you sort of go down the aleatoric road, everything does kind of sound the same because Mm. it's all 12 tones playing at once and it just kind of has that has a particular sound a particular quality so it is a sound that you hear to me this sort of music is what you would normally hear on like a monster reveal so like like think, think of something one. in like insidious Yes, yeah, exactly. So, like, where maybe the characters aren't in danger yet. But, like, you know, like, one of those scenes where, like, our characters are, like, they're they're walking through, uh, walking down the road or something, and then they walk off into the distance and the camera pans a bit to the left, and then you see some evidence of... Something lurking. Something lurking, and you'll get a bit of music like this. because And because nothing's happening... The music doesn't go anywhere, but it it has this. They'll often have this dark horror type quality. I mm. feel like that's where you would normally hear a piece of music mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. But this is obviously an incredibly different scene, an incredibly different usage. It's different ah. action, basically. Yeah. You know, where so, there is an action happening, like yeah. So I think it's really cool. It's it creates a very very dark dreamscape. There's a in the in the pad. You can be probably explain more if you if you know. But like, there is a rhythm. Underneath, mm-hmm. it's like there. side chain. It's utilizing side chain, basically. Yeah, so it's in the, an oscillation there somewhere. Yeah. I'm guessing it get, gives us this pulse, which to me it gives us this sort of Johan Johansson almost type quality mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. It's the sort of thing you did in Sicario and stuff, where you just get this like warm, 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 mm-hmm. under, or even Stranger Things. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a common synthy technique, as you say, side chain um, stuff, um, and it definitely. It really stands out against the other music in the film because um, nothing else in this film sounds anything like it. But I think what is cool is because it's all bells and we hear those hand bells, the, like ringing bells throughout the rest of the film, it, it feels almost like a demented version of mm-hmm. of the bells. And there is um, so something in the way that he's written this aleatoric music is I think he must have given the players like a sequence of maybe four notes or something to play that has a certain tune to it because it feels like a music box winding into itself. Mm-hmm. Like There's a definite winding quality to it. Like all of the phrasing seems to be going somewhere, but it's all, all a complete sonic jumble on itself. So that, that's, that's interesting. And that music box quality is like Very Sick Girl. Mm-hmm. So I think that's cool. Yeah, that's, that's cool. I agree. <laughs> Moving on to You Never Really Here. Now, this was probably the track that we found Hard. hardest to really... Yeah, to find the actual right track. and mm. you know, Because there are two tracks that sound quite similar. You think, like, oh, is this the one that plays during the murder mm. scene? Um, so if we're wrong, we apologise. But, you know, I think this is the closest one it's that a, sounds. It's the closest one and definitely what we're talking about in these tracks is the same quality as what you get in the music of this particular scene, but yeah, it's, it's a bit complicated. So the track we're going to play is, have we just settled on Votto? Um, I was actually going to say uh, it's the w, uh, Y-W-N-R-H, the end part of Okay, let's, let's do that. I, I, I would say straight off the side, like those were the two tracks. It's, it felt like it was one or the other. I thought it was Votto. You've decided it was Y-N-R-W-H. <laughs> and so we will warn you before we listen to this that it's not your speakers conking out. The, the weird sounds you're about to hear are actually in the track. 
Yeah. What do you think? It's it's, it's un- a lovely piece of music, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. Look, on one hand, I'm I am saddened that this kind of sound is now commonplace in in film because it is it is a very aggressive aggressive shocking kind of a sound and like it's cool i love it i i fell in love with it the first time i listened to penderecki like 20 years ago but i do feel like it's got a risk of getting overused and we become desensitized to it yeah exactly and don't appreciate it yeah that said this is a particularly good execution of of that particular sound and that even for someone like me who's quite jaded and who probably listens to a track like this maybe once a week Mm -hmm, (laughs) just mm -hmm. because of the sort of work that we do um yeah that that one still kind of shocks you when you when you first come across it and robotic um but it's interesting because again it highlights joe's mental state whereby Mm -hmm. he goes into the mode of like becoming obviously because of his previous experiences as a marine or fbi or like someone in the service he goes into you know machine mode of just like killing Mm -hmm. to get results basically yeah which is what this scene is essentially about of just how quickly he reacts to the changing circumstance because it's a complete 180 oh yeah for sure you just think like oh my god he's he's done for and then all of a sudden he just he just kills him yeah you know effectively and again, he does it without conscious because you can kind of see his this his his face just completely dissociated from it, you know, because mm-hmm. it's just it's almost it's almost like he's just so desensitized from all the killing that he just be sees it as just a mechanical thing that he has to do. Yeah, put his arm around the guy's neck and just wait until he suffocates him. Yeah, you know, it's just like that. It's just like picking up a glass and putting it, you know, yeah, which is, you know, that I think the music highlights that definitely and. I think there's also an element of Bernard Herrmann, I think, as Def- well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, like, Johnny expected his, you know, he kind of put his musicians through it, you know, by getting mm-hmm. them to play these really unconventional, you know, he put them through the ropes to perform, like, yeah. these string parts in a very unconventional way with very series of aggressive pizzicato effects, you know, to make... Yeah, the Bartok pits, as yeah. we say, where, where you, you pull the string and clang it against you. I reckon these players must... This sort of um, London and Los Angeles session musicians must, particularly string players, they must have like a cheap instrument that they bring along to these sessions to just destroy on these horror tracks, I reckon. Because mm. that's not good for your instrument to be clanging them mm. this much. And there's so much of this this stuff being done these days. That it's torturing the instruments. I know. Yeah, I know. So I reckon they must have like a little $50 student instrument that they bring along. <laughs> they must do though, yeah. But it's funny. Yeah, it's funny I said like they torture the instruments, but they also torture the poor musician as mm-hmm. well. Absolutely, and with like with all the kind of chance elements and things like this, there is always a like a little bit in the in the mix here of you can write this stuff down as a composer, but you never really know what it's going to sound like until the actual mm. day. Like there mm. is there is a huge gray area between what you write and what you'll actually get because what you write has just a lot of variability in terms of what's going to come out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so yeah it would be it would be always challenging to get the the exact mood right and yeah it's look it's good uh, the thing that i think is remarkable about this particular track and possibly about this soundtrack in general is that normally on a soundtrack you have one or the other you either have the wild orchestral stuff extended techniques or you have the wild sort of 
I don't like calling it that, but it's kind of what it is called noise music on the electronic side of things. Like avant-garde. Yeah, the avant-garde, electronica type stuff. This does both, and it does both on top of each other, which I think Mm -hmm. is what makes it shocking. Mm -hmm. Because you're not used to hearing both that much kind of like static, crazy noise from the electronic side and the Bartok pits at the same time. But the downside to it is that the track itself is it's not... It, not all of it is used in the film no. and so you, as you watch the film you miss that mm-hmm. so if we're going to be t- choosing a representation for this round in terms of like c- combining what the visuals show us and the music it's, it's, it's a shame that the whole music is not utilised in the film to yeah. kind of go you know, to, to kind of convey and to kind of articulate what we're talking about. Do you know what I mean? That's, I completely agree. So that's why for me, if I'm going to choose a winner, it will be side effects, you know, because mm-hmm. it kind of does and shows you everything. It's, it's matched well mm-hmm. together, you know. Agreed. Whereas in the uh, You Were Never Really Here, it's only a small segment that's used out of... How long is the f- track? Let me just double check. It's about... It's about, you know, almost four minutes. Yeah. And only maybe like 30 seconds 40 seconds is used from that for that particular scene so yeah it's a shame because it it develops so much it gets far much more vicious and far and much more aggressive you know as it goes right to the end and Mm. it's just it's really it's an experience for sure yeah that some it's not for it's not everybody's cup of tea no (laughs) (laughs) that's for sure just have have to warn you that um but i just wish that it was utilized more in the film okay um, I'm definitely also going to go with side effects. I actually flat out think it's a better piece of music, to be honest. I think it, even though, as I say, it kind of goes down... A, both of these tracks actually go down a road that so many horror tracks have done in, in their various ways. Every execution is slightly different, but they, they, they're very much in the standard techniques you use. But the doing it with bells, and as I say, there's, a, there's that cyclical quality to it, which I think is quite novel and quite interesting. I, I, I really like Knife. And just the jarringness of it in the film, the way that it does sound like the rest of the film, but also nothing like the rest of the film, mm-hmm. I think is quite special. So mm-hmm. I'm definitely with side effects. I think it's, it's a great track for a great, crucial moment that the entire film turns on. You need to question what was happening in that scene for at least 20 minutes or this film doesn't work. No, totally, yeah. Um, after maybe 20 minutes, then it's things funny. get different. But if you put an orchestral-type music or a different style of music, it just kind of invalidates the whole scene completely. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was saying, Helly. Yeah, I don't think any other piece of music or any other style of music would work. I think he hits the nail on the head. He has to sit somewhere between being crazy, atonal, unlistenable, like, frankly, you never really hear is, mm-hmm. and being pretty orchestral, electronic, like the rest of the score. Mm-hmm. And he sits in that perfectly, mm-hmm. where it is completely atonal, it is unpleasant, but not uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So, hey. two votes for side effects. All right, so round three. Anxiety. There's a lot of anxiety in both of these films. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, I'll mention just briefly, I find that the track, one of the tracks that we're going to talk about for you and never really here, actually 
emulates a more positive perspective. On anxiety. Okay. Yeah, well, a release to anxiety. Oh, sure, yes. I think. And no, I think absolutely. A, and I think a lot of, like, this this round is, yes, I know it's titled anxiety, but, and we're going to talk about, like, the music that kind of, you know, represents tension and makes, hmm. it makes what you conventionally think anxiety sounds like. Yes. You know, from what people have described it as. But I think one that the, the track that we're going to talk about in you and they're really here kind of gives it an op, uh, an alternative viewpoint to anxiety which okay. I think that doesn't get always uh, addressed and sure. I yeah but anyway right. we'll get to that when we get to that but we'll start with side effects yeah. and so we kind of disagreed on what the best example of this I mean it's the same piece of music it's in a couple of different tracks. I said the best version was Houston Free Meds. You said it was Poisonous Fog. Yeah, but I mean the, the, they're exactly the same. They're exactly track. the same. So <laughs> it's probably pointless. Uh, but which one are we playing? Both. They're exactly the same, though. <laughs> uh, well, no. You tell me. Okay, I'll play. You tell me whether you know <laughs> <laughs> if it's Houston. Okay, or, or Poisonous Fog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you tell me. Poisonous Fog. No. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I could have sworn Poisonous Fog had the slowest start. No, no, no. That was Houston Pre-Meds. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, so, um, oh yeah, that was Houston and then this is the Poisonous Fog. that as a representation of of anxiety and of like a sort of like a continuous thoughts yeah continuous like rumination and like stress and and and, and tension uh i like when we think of anxiety or from what we know of anxiety i guess it's irrational thoughts yes and as, as in like there are many thoughts or feelings at the same happening at the same time yeah, and un- unresolved thoughts or unresolvable thoughts, I mm. think, is also is all it's also a part of it. This is like the thoughts themselves may or may not be rational, but the like constant rumination on them is definitely irrational. Mm. And I, I, it represents that quite well. Compared to, so it's the same. This is one of the themes of this particular film. It's the same basic soundscape. It's those same bells, the same lots of decay sounds. And when when mm-hmm. we talk about decay Pads sounds, and scents and guitars, and yeah, stuff, stuff that um, you play once and it reverbs out and it, it evolves. Drains. It has it peaks and then disappears yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so it's that same basic collection of sounds, but this is so much faster than the rest of the music in the film. It's there's real fidgety, unsettled like doesn't know which way to go panic there's a panic to to mm-hmm. this it's, no it's not crazy fast there's a certain panic to to the to the music and to me it, it feels very uncomfortable it's like there's something ringing in your head it's like a tinnitus 
kind of a quality to it. And I think there's something quite clever about the fact of the... It sounds like he's taking sort of like meditation prayer bowls and soft pads, the sort of stuff you might hear in like, you know, your classic sort of just relaxation CD that they might play in like a when having a massage or, or something. But it's taking all of those sounds but then making them the least relaxing possible mm-hmm. by just, just throwing them on, on, on top of each other. And one of the effects of just ringing these bells and the kind of random rhythms, I feel like there's a, actually a couple of different rhythms in different layers and they're kind of out of step with each other and they, they create a sort of bit of a trance-like psychoacoustic thing where you start to hear other rhythms that aren't mm. really there, which is also the, the idea of your mind starting to create things that aren't really there. It's sort of kind of making your mind do a bit of what somebody's mind does when they're in anxiety of it. starts to, in, in order to try and create order of chaos, it just creates more chaos. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, no, you can pretty much hit the nail on the head there with everything yeah. that you basically said. I mean, I would exactly, I, would, I feel exactly the same way. It's just, it's, I think what it is, it's like there is many rhythms, as you said, that you're trying to keep a hold of, but because they kind of go off on their own, it's like mm. you, there is, you, there's nothing to latch on. It's hard no. to latch on to it um, to kind of get that sense of steadiness. Yep. You can't, it's hard to steady yourself with it. Let's move on to You Never Really Here. You Were Never Really Here. So the track that I wanted to talk about was Tree Strings. And this is kind of played at when he buries his mum. Yes. And this is a moment when he also decides to, you know, he buries his mum in the river and he also wants to take his own life with her as well by putting the stones in his pockets. And so you kind of see him um, Mm. drowning. I find it interesting that you always... So you interpret all of this sort of asphyxiation as being suicide attempts or suicidal thoughts. Yeah. As in, yeah, I think... Well, yeah, he wants to end his life or maybe he's just trying to have an out-of-body experience or... I think it's... I interpreted it as the latter. I don't oh. think there is a necessarily... Well, there probably is a right answer. It's, it's a mixture of both, mm-hmm. of him having an out-of-body experience, but it's also wanting him to kind of end his life because he's now completely detached himself from the world because of all the horrific things he's now experienced, you know, because there's an element of experiencing domestic abuse when he mm-hmm. was a child, you know, because apparently his mother was abused by yes. his father, you know, being in the service, you know, having to go to Afghanistan or, yeah. you know, Middle Wherever, East and yeah. experiencing those horrific traumas yes. so he's kind of lost hope in humanity yeah and you know there's an element of just like well why should i carry on living okay. i mean i mean there's scenes when he's holding a knife in front of himself yes. and he wants to kind of stab it you know or even yeah. the last scene in the film when they're in the diner and he basically he i imagine shooting himself in the yeah. head yeah well, well at first you just think like he does shoot himself and then obviously then when you see the waitress walking around with blood yeah, yeah. Her face, and she's still saying like give us his well I'm like ah oh, okay it's a bit of fantasy yeah. but the fact that it's constantly in his mind okay. it's he's he wants that release okay. basically oh. I just always thought of that asphyxiation as being like that's basically the only way he can clear his mind it's like his way of unwinding as mm. he asphyxiates himself so yeah I found this music to be very beautiful and very it's a positive anxiety, a positive representation of anxiety because there are still elements of what you were saying with um, with poisonous hot fog or Houston mm. free meds. Um, 
there's nothing there's no melody necessary to latch on yes but at one point there is a melody to latch on because it's quite disfragmented but there's a yeah. hopefulness to it okay so let's hear it It's definitely minimalist. It's melancholy. Um, as you say, it's got that overwhelming quality. We've got lots of layers of murmuring strings with the synths and the loops. It's got a 70s kind of a sound, but also that kind of modern raw string sound as well. So it's got that kind of blend. Of the two. Yeah, it, look, it, it's, it's a good track. To me, what this this track, and I think this is kind of what you're saying, so, but I'll say it a slightly different way. This track is about acceptance. Mm-hmm. It's about the mur- like he's the murmuring, the, the rumination is still going on, but he's learnt to just let it go by. That's basically what's happening. Like it's, the thoughts are not going away, but he's now somehow able to cope with them. And so essentially this scene and this music, I mean, it's very, very literal. He finally lets go of his mother and that allows him to move on. Mm-hmm. It's as, as simple and as blunt as as that um and but also kind of realizing that there is a purpose to his life as well because yeah. when he's underwater he wants he's ready to let go of his own life and then there's this you know he sees a, a vision uh, a vision of the girl nina yes and he kind of brings him back to reality yep. be like actually no there is a purpose to my life i shouldn't die i need i, ha- I have unfinished business yeah that i need to tend to before i can let go and accept yeah. and fully um die i yep. guess so yeah and um, I think at the end of the day, when we suffer from anxiety, we always feel like that we don't have a purpose mm. or we've lost our purpose. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and this is why I kind of like this. This yeah. resonates for me on an emotional way. Yeah. You know, so I really, I like this track very much. Okay, so... In terms winner? of winner, I would go for... Yeah, I would go for You Were Never Really Here. Yeah, for... Yeah, it's it's extremely close... But I I do agree. Really? 
Yeah, I do because it, it is. It's this. Even though I mean, if we were sort of talk purely about anxiety, this is very much the yeah, like the process of the process of getting over anxiety is what this is describing. But it's it's very effective in the way that it sort of communicates this mental idea of yes, they're still there. You're just able to now work through them. It reminds me a lot of the soundtrack of something else, which is very much about accepting anxiety and loss which is the soundtrack to the leftovers the tv series mm, I haven't by, watched by, that. oh well it's not the best series the first few episodes are very very good it's got a great setup um but it is a score by max richter who i'm sure you mm-hmm. you're familiar mm-hmm. with and uh it the entire show deals very heavily with this concept of acceptance so the, the basic gist of the show is that on this one day like a tenth or a quarter or something of the world's population vanishes And then it's about the leftovers, all the people who are left behind. So it's all these people dealing with the grief because everybody lost someone, Mm. basically. And so that's what it is. And so I think we should probably play a very quick track from that. Uh, Just doing very similar things, but in a more consonant way. And the track is called De Nobis Pachem 2. And now let's move on to round four, production and techniques. Right, so we're just going to kind of briefly talk about production and techniques, just maybe maybe celebrating or appreciating the techniques that they've hmm. used you know, for each film. You know, I won't go too much into sort of the technical jargon, but in terms of like um, side effects, I mean, I guess for me, the best example of great production and techniques and kind of involvement to kind of hear of the narrative is a malingering mm-hmm. track and here it is I like how it like there's a lot of elements of where it's slowly subsiding away into thin air yeah. almost. Yeah. Yeah, great. Particularly during the middle part, you know, where you yeah. have that moment. And it reminds me of the back to when we were talking about our favorite tracks. Mm-hmm. Um the soundtrack that I was talking about, um, a page for madness. Yes. It yeah. sounds very similar to that, right. like the middle part of this and this is what this is the part that I'm talking about. Thank you. 
And this is uh, a sequence from Page of Madness. And yeah, so they sound very similar. They have that sort of weird sort of otherworldly element yeah, to it. Yeah, uh, very otherworldly and sort of spacey. And how about You Were Never Really Here? I picked Downstairs mm. um, because that's just when I saw the film and the soundtrack, it just it just made me think some, this is something I was shining. Definitely. It really reminded me of yeah. Shining. Um, I also liked how it was very experimental. And again, it uses similar sort of spatial mixing, giving you the illusion that as that what you hear, you know, from his perspective, as he moves from one room to another, you think that you will see the person or the thing that is making these noise or these thumps and stuff. Because uh, from, yes, yeah. you know, because when he was, I just felt like, oh my God, like, He's basically the next shot is going to be him going into the room and it's going to be a person banging their head against the table or something. Yeah, yeah. that's I felt like okay, this is what it's going to be because it's it has pushing the line between diegetic and non diegetic. Exactly, yeah. And I just kind of I liked it's very unsettling way of yeah. recording as well, but I thought I think it's done very well. Yeah, yeah. It, it's pushing. It's also pushing that line between music and I mean I, don't, I really don't like calling music noise ever but it is pushing a line between music and noise where you kind of exactly what you're saying you don't know if it's a sound effect or if it's part of the soundtrack it's it's completely blurred it's com- as to yeah, what's what yeah completely blurred totally agree well what I'll talk about in terms of production technique just for so there's a distinction between the two of these two films of decay and non-decay instruments so as I sort of mentioned before side effects is all decay it's all like bells and string plucked strings that you play them once and then the sound dissipates it's, and it's goes away it's called a tape delay if you because the, the, t- the technique that they use is called a tape delay which is meant to kind of be reminiscent of an echo yeah so. Yeah, it is. But it also the particular instruments they're using. When you use a bell, you only get to ring the bell once and then the sound ends. Like it, it ends of its own accord. You can't mm. control it. Whereas in You Were Never Really Here, they use a lot of strings. And when you're, play, when you're playing a string with a bow, you can continue to change the note as it goes because you can with bowing. Mm. That makes sense. So it, yeah. that's, that's a non-decay instrument because you've got continuous flow of noise coming out of the instrument that you can continue to control, whereas once you've played a piano key or hit a bell or something, it's it's done. It's over. There's less control of it. Yeah, and it, it's a very specific... And particularly when you get a lot of decay instruments, there's a very particular sound, that ringing, just constantly hearing reverb and, as well as the new notes. And so one of the associations that's begun to sort of be built with these sort of very decay-heavy sound effects is that they're about the mind. So you'll hear them a lot in, like, films about genius. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas... Is that the one that was done by Hans Zimmer? 
Oh, well, just lots, just lots. Well, sorry, so Genius is a, oh, it was a particular show, yes. Oh. But, like, but any movie is about, like, uh, Albert Einstein or, a kind of like, Beautiful Mind uses a lot of it and that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's just, it's become very associated with just mental processing, mm. this kind of bells and... Continuous mental yeah, processing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas longer notes on strings, woodwinds, brass tend to be more emotional. And for an example of this, um, I'll just play the, the the main theme from the imitation game, where, mm. which actually involves both of these. So you hear at the beginning, it's all very decaying instruments, piano, things like that, and you can you can almost hear the mind operating. But then when the strings come in, you'll immediately notice. No, oh, now it feels emotional. Now I feel like I'm feeling something. And so you can hear in this track just the duality of of those two different ideas. So when you look at these two films, this is what I, what I wanted to sort of get to, is that they're both talking about a mental state, but in side effects, she, it's it's actually not emotional. It, she's, it's mathematical. It's mathematical. She's acting depressed, but she's mm-hmm. actually conniving and, and thinking. It's calculated. She's ca- there's calculation to her. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas in You Were Never Really Here, he's having an emotional breakdown. Mm-hmm. He's suffering post-traumatic stress. He has trauma. And so in You Are Never Really Here, you get these long notes with, with shape and structure because we're hearing him be torn apart. We're hearing that those tuning in and out of tune transitions because it's it's his emotional turmoil as opposed to her mental process. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a, just in, in terms of technique and an interesting sort of dichotomy between the two films. Well, again, it's, it's an interesting sort of representation of different state of minds, you yep. know, one who is basically more of a delicate mind and one who's actually who is one who is probably going more insane the other one who is much more sane yes but pretending to be insane yeah so yeah Yeah. so which do you think is better I like the electronic side of things I like Mm -hmm. I like it's more of a better listening experience for me you know if I want to get into a more hypnotic trance or Mm -hmm. vibe and kind of really be able to listen out to um, sounds that are really far back in the track you know and to kind of hear them developed and evolve yeah, I, I for me, I, I don't know. I, in terms side of, of tech, I would go for side effects for me. Yeah, I will too. 
Why? You seem to be agreeing with me so much today. What's I, going I on? I know. I, I keep I, every 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 month we come into these expecting to disagree and everything. <laughs> we're just agreeing all over the show. All right, then moving on to round five, legacy. Alrighty, so I mean, we don't really need to talk about this too much, I don't think. So, side effects. I mean, what well, we've got the extension. It's very much the Thomas Newman American Beauty sound, but it, yeah, I think he's developed and evolved it into something a little bit well, even more interesting. You're kind of going to be now. comparing like a seasoned composer versus a newcomer because at yes. Greenwood he's actually he's only maybe done maybe six or seven um, and quite well known soundtracks yes. as well because he's I think the one that met, kind of brought him to prominence, prominence was, was there will um, be blood there will be blood he's done I think he's becoming a household name in the indie film realm yeah, and sure. a master of the neurotic jumpy film scores because you mm. know he did Phantom Thread which is another film about a neurotic character who mm. lives in his own world and side effects and um, sorry you're never really here and you were never really here has that sort of neurotic yeah element quality to it you know yeah so yeah, I think he's um, he's doing he's doing well in his own sort of realm. I mean, Whereas Thomas Newman tends to kind of he's done quite a lot of similar type films. I think that he kind of focuses on on a lot of emotional hmm. storytelling. Yes, he's a bit more old fashioned in that yeah. respect. Yeah, because and there is a definite signature style to him hmm. um, that you can hear in American Beauty, even a Road to Perdition. Just, yes, um, even uh, like Lemony Snicket's. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Like I almost. He's a he's an another example of like Danny Elfman where you watch a film. And you're like, you can, oh, that's one of his. You can guess, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's so and so. That sounds. And when the credits come, in, you're like, oh yeah, I was right. So I I think he's got he's established his sound very well. Yeah. Um. He's from one of the great composing families, obviously as well. But he's a little bit not as well known as he should be, though. Like no. in the realms of like Johnny John Williams. Um, Hans. Hans Zimmer and stuff. He's a yeah, little bit kind of on the back burner slightly. Yeah, it's strange. Given, given that his dad, Alf- Alfred Newman, is mm. fantastically famous, and his brother, Randy Newman, is also very famous. But yeah, it's, I don't know. Maybe they all just kind of blend into one. But it's funny, you don't really, it's really hard to find any information about Thomas Newman to find any interviews of, of him, yeah. like in, on YouTube, for instance. So maybe that's, you know, he's not as out there as Hans Zimmer or yeah. like Junkie XL, yes. you know, in sort of the millennial age of like talking sure. about sounds being so open and very accessible mm-hmm. so maybe that's why it could be a little bit to his downside and I think yeah. yeah and apart from American Beauty he hasn't done that many sort of iconic films that pe- kind of people like really know him for like sort of like John Williams for Star Wars or whatever well yeah or well I think we might do but yeah. the, ne- the general public exactly. doesn't yeah which is a shame because there are some really beautiful pieces that he's written, such as this. I, I think, like, I think more it's people, sh- I think more people should really listen and appreciate this, the side effects soundtrack, you know, mm. because it's just so unusual and it's such a, an interesting way of composing using electronics. You know, mm. um, some people might dislike the fact that he's gone away from his orchestral roots for this sure. particular film, but I think it's just a great example of what is his, um, what's the word? Variety. Yep, his versatility. His, yeah, it's, it's basically a great example of his versatility. Sure. So, winner? Hey, what about you? What did you think? Uh, no, I, I, What's I, your thoughts on Johnny Greenwood? 
I'm still on the fence about him as a film composer, to be honest. I think he's, I think he's good, and he definitely does bring some interesting ideas and a lot of very skilled uh, production in. Okay. But I, I think. Would I, you put him in the same sort of bubble as Mika Levi? I think Mika Levi is more interesting. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they're similar. They they are definitely similar, but I think Mika Levi's touch for orchestral and sort of natural instrument writing is is much more interesting. More raw. More raw and more idiosyncratic. I like I think you can feel with Mika Levi that she's a string player mm-hmm. and that she's got a real kind of feel for it. Whereas I just I don't know John and Greenwood that well, but I just I, I feel like he's someone who's playing with that toolbox but doesn't fully understand it. But that's interesting you say that because they're both classically trained yeah. and they both come from a sort of a band's background where they first were in pop that's culture. True. So yeah, and now they've moved on to writing film for music. Interesting. Very yeah, I just, it just doesn't feel as natural for me with John and Greenwood. You don't want to give him merit yet. No, no, he does very interesting things, and I think particularly as I was saying before that the blend of very avant-garde electronic and avant-garde orchestral at the same time is novel and interesting and certainly some of the beats and rhythms that are, are in this tra- in this album are very very cool mm. um, we didn't talk about the tracks that have them but like there's some very cool moments where he's really blending about three or four different musical styles together and creating something really quite unique in between which I give him major major credit for it's, it's really interesting stuff but I think I think partly with soundtrack like this where it is so chopped up and so all over the place, it's, it's hard for me to really evaluate him. Maybe if we did a different film, maybe if we did maybe like Phantom, Phantom Thread or which is much more of a cohesive album. Yeah. Then, yeah. Might I think we... he's like, he's stylistically, he's not that dissimilar from Johan Johansson and it's got like blending of the multiple worlds together. Mm-hmm. But say when we spoke about Sicario, we had big set piece tracks that we could talk about and this is how he develops something and what he does we just don't have that here so I'm going to go with Thomas Newman okay I agree me too alrighty well that is a comprehensive win for Side Effect Woo! Go side effects. Yeah, I didn't actually expect that. I didn't expect you to fall on side effects as often as you did. Well, you, you didn't expect that from me, did you? No. No, I, re- I really I thought you were going to go a lot more heavily down. You were never really here. Oh, no, I think I gave him a few rounds, but I think overall... One. We, we each gave one round to you never really here. It was four rounds to one. Oh, really? Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot more comprehensive than I expected. I, I thought I'd be closer, to be honest. I thought I gave more. Oh, no. no. Oh, no. It's because you will agree with me more. That's why. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what enough. happened. Um, well, maybe we, if we come back, maybe in five years' time and review this track again, or the soundtrack again, then... We might, could change might, our minds on it, for sure. Yeah, we might have second thoughts of it. I think it's because, like, you know, I've really kind of really got... I've grown into and I've grown accustomed to the side effects. Side effects. I've really... I know it inside out much more okay. than... Um, you think it might be really too here. soon for You Never Really Here to, to really... I still love it. I still yeah. love it as a soundtrack. I But I do think that it's just it's too fragmented. It's too all over the place um, for a lot of people to enjoy. Yeah, as a soundtrack. I agree. That's I, I think thing. yeah, the use of it in the film really hurts. Mm-hmm. You're never really here just because you never get a feel for the soundtrack, and it's 
there's so many different styles it's all over the place it's almost as though they bought a lot of different music off the shelf and threw it into the film much like The Shining does yep, yep. rather than having a cohesive soundtrack that goes together in our next episode, we're going to be tackling the subject, or more like the soundtrack, of love, since next month is going to be Valentine's Day month. So, here are the two soundtracks that we'll be discussing next month. The 2006 Tristan and his old music composed by Anne Dudley. And Ridley Scott's 1986 film called Legend, music by Tangerine Dream. don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our amazing episodes otherwise you can always find us on tristellarmusic.com and all the usual social media platforms like instagram facebook youtube so just search for tristellar music and you'll find us until then see ya